We have a lot to go through tonight. It's just a couple verses, but <laughs> there is a ton of stuff in here. I didn't even know if I was going to get done studying because I came in to just finish up studying and then there's a whole other thing that just opened up on it. So we're going to go through it and we'll see if we can complete it. So Ephesians chapter 1. And like I told you guys last week, we're going to go back to the verses that we did go over and we're going to refresh our minds over those and continue on. So tonight we're going to be doing verses 3 through, four, or three through 14 in chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we'll go ahead and read it, just get the full context of everything, and then we'll go back and we're going to start tearing into it. This is one of those that every verse is just full uh, of God's awesome work, uh, the details of what He's doing in our lives, and it's, it's a great, great study. So let's just read through it and then I'll pray. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchase of possession to the praise of his glory. And Lord, we just thank you so much for your scriptures again, Lord, and ask that you just speak to us and just uh, give us the insight that you would like to give us, Lord, and, and just the things that we need to know more about you and the riches that you've given us and those blessings that you've given us and where our place is with you, Lord. And it's so exciting to see the revelation that comes through these scriptures and how you reveal your son and, and just your work that you're doing in our lives and you're going to do in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray you just open our eyes and, and uh, give us understanding, Lord, into what you're talking about in these scriptures and what Paul was telling the church in Ephesus. And, uh, Lord, we just, again, just thank you so much for your scriptures and thank you so much for blessing us with just the, the direction that you give us in our lives, Lord. We love you. Amen. All right. So, back to that main verse, that thesis that I said, that thesis statement that I talked about last week. So on verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I, we went and ripped through that verse last week, so we're not going to do it again. Okay. One of the things that we're going to go back on is because the context of this is focusing on what are those blessings that we're receiving in every heavenly place. And like I told you guys before, when you go down through these verses, look at how many times it says, in him or by him. And I counted for you, so it's 11 times in these verses, okay? 11 times in that many verses where he says, in him, and it's talking about being in Jesus. Now, there was other things that talked about being in God, but I just put the ones that what we had 
in him. And that's what the focus was going to be. That's where I was going to go with the study tonight, was we're going to just focus on all the things that we have in him. We're still going to do that, but it's more of in him speaking of the Trinity. And so it, it got a little bit deeper when I started going through it, and I was like, wow, this is really neat that it shows the Trinity and the work of the Trinity, the work of redemption in our lives. And it goes through each one. And the thing I want to make clear is that it's not saying that the Trinity is working independent of each other. The three persons of the Trinity are not working by themselves in their own little places. And you guys know that God isn't that way. I mean, the Trinity is a very complex thing that we can't really wrap our mind around and clearly understand it completely because we have nothing in this life that we can compare it to. We have nothing at all. So to try to understand it and try to completely get it down, I don't think it can happen in this life. It's going to be one of those things we're going to have to experience when we're face-to-face with him. So, but the thing that it does in these scriptures is it shows this special ministry that each one has, okay? That each person of the Trinity has. So I'm not saying that they're independently working. Of course, they all work together, but they do. And we know through the scriptures, it does talk about them having a special ministry and how they minister to us. And there's God the Father, even in his title as a father, right? We have Jesus Christ and his redemption and the cross and how he works through us with that, that we've been di- we died with him and we rose again, right? With, like what uh, Romans, someone said Revelation, Romans 6 says. And then the Holy Spirit being that, like what it says here, that guarantee, that seal, or the one that guides us unto all truth the one that keeps us until the redemption, until we get to change out this body for the new one, right? So there are these different spiritual or special ministries that each one has, and that's what this is going to show us through these scriptures, is it shows each one and how it is in the redemption for mankind. So it's a really neat thing, and it all is in him. So there was a, with the riches in it, it talks about, you know, having every spiritual blessing. There was this funny comic they had this lawyer that was standing up and giving the list of all the, you know, the, the things, the will, to all these greedy relatives that were waiting to hear what they're going to get. And what on the, on the thing, the guy just reads up there in the comic just says, I, John Jones, being of sound mind and body, spend it all. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's just funny that, you know, he took advantage of what he had there. You know, you had it all then, why, why, why wait? <laughs> and now there is the neat, you know, the thing that we handed on to, off to our children, but the whole point of it being is that we have it now. We have these spiritual blessings now. This is something that we have received through Jesus Christ. And so, let's take the next step and understand it, know that we have it, and walk in it. And that's, again, what Ephesians is all about. Going through those first three chapters, telling us what we have, that doctrine. And then the last one's, the last chapters are all about, okay, this is what it looks like to walk it out. This is look, what it looks like to how to use those spiritual blessings. So going on and talking about these spiritual blessings, let's get into it. So um, first of all, the heavenly places. When I started reading through verse 3 and I started looking it over and seeing every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, I was wondering, what does that mean exactly? Because you can say, well, in heavenly places, like it's the spiritual realm. But for me, I wanted to know, what is that deeper? <laughs> like just to throw the word spiritual and it doesn't make it impact my life personally. It doesn't bring it to home, you know? And so looking at it and going through it and seeing the different places that it says heavenly places, if you look down in verse 11, it also refers to it. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according, uh, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And it's not even in there, is it? <laughs> Which verse is it? <laughs> uh, 
Well, let me go on to the other one then. Hopefully it's in this one. In verse 20, which he works in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Okay, in verse 20, that's the one I wanted, not 11. Just kidding. So verse 20, and it's talking about where Jesus Christ is in the heavenly places, right? The next one would be over in, cha- in verse 6 of chapter 2. It says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so what it's doing is it putting Jesus Christ in that place of authority, isn't it? That place of the right hand of God, that's, that's like, that is the place of authority right there. But it's saying that we're seated with him, which is so interesting. And then when you go back there and it talks about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, well, it's in Christ. All those spiritual blessings that we have are in him. So we as his children, and this is where it becomes really interesting because you just put yourself in, in, in a, you know, imagine this, this massive palace and here's this father sitting up there. And we're heirs to all that that father owns. Like, we get to be those kids that are just kind of playing around really not knowing what we own, but being heirs to all of the stuff that would be around of us. So it's not just saying the physical, like we are heirs to heaven and we get to be heirs to what he has for us in the future. That's true. But also what we have through the Spirit and what he's given us now to conquer sin, right? That's one of those awesome blessings he's given us. To have that power over the enemy, in the world that he's given us. And we, like I said last week, the list could just keep going on and on. You can talk about all the blessings, the peace that comes to us that we talked about, that hope that we've been given now, the, the, the discovery or the, the um, knowledge into the mystery of what he's revealed to us about his grace. I mean, that's stuff you don't get experienced outside of Jesus. You don't understand it. They're all just words to you. But it's been impacted in our lives so deep. And it's so neat because everything that Jesus Christ has, he's given to us. Which is scary. Because <laughs> then we're responsible. Aren't we? And that's what he's going to talk about in a little bit. So, in these blessings. Now, what we're going to look at is, I told you, with the Trinity and the three different uh, persons working here. The first one's going to be the Father. So, God the Father's, if you guys are taking notes, the first one's going to be God the Father's work of redemption. And you can put it with mankind, with mankind or with us. And this will be verses 4 through 6. So in verses 4 through 6, the very first one is it's going to be in verse 4. It says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And I'm going to try not to go over what we talked about last week, but to focus in on a little bit more of what God the Father has given us. And the first thing he's given us is he chose us, Right? He chose us. That's one of the first things, this, this work of redemption in our lives. He chose us. We didn't choose him. And it's an important thing that that's why he's talking about where it took place. It was before creation. Okay, We weren't around. So how could we choose him? How could we make him want us? It, wasn't, it was all him. It was completely by his grace. In John 15, 16, go over there. John fifteen sixteen, And this is just to clear it up a little bit. Jesus says it a whole lot better than I can. In John fifteen sixteen, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask, in the, ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. And that's that whole part of that heavenly places of him being on the throne, you go and ask in his name because that's who we're identified with. 
And then he gives us that spiritual blessing that we're asking for, that spiritual thing that we need to get through, or that conquering of sin that we need to get through. So we go and we ask in his name, and these things I command you that you love one another. So that whole part right there, he's saying, you know, you didn't choose me, I chose you. It's like, okay, I don't fully understand that because, like, I, don't, I, I know there was no work of me doing it there, but what we did is we received what he'd paid for us, right? We received what he gave us. If God didn't reach out, we would remain lost, wouldn't we? And these are a couple different things. So if he chose us, we didn't choose him. He chose us. And if he didn't reach out, we'd remain lost. And this is over in Romans 3. If you guys turn over there, Romans 3. And we are going to be going around quite a bit. Just to keep you guys awake, because I know you probably had a day where you didn't do anything. <laughs> Just seeing if you're listening. So Romans 3, 9 through 11. And I was joking with my friend that I might fall asleep tonight up here, so if you guys see my head go down, yell at me. Romans 3, 9 through 11, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside, they've come together, become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And that's just humanity, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's where we come to. When we first come and we get introduced to Jesus Christ, we first have to come to that place to understand we are sinners. That's where we are. Like, we sin, that's, and, and you, you're not just a good person and you kind of don't do it every once in a while. If you've done it once, you've tainted the water. I don't know if I, if I get a glass of water, which I don't need one, Shelly, I'm good. But if I were to put a little bit of cyanide in there, like a little drop of it, you guys going to drink it? It's just a drop. I mean, it's just a tiny drop. Come on. You know, the whole thing is it's been poisoned. So the whole thing with us is you sin once, you drink that, you're, you're a sinner. And that's how it goes. But that's such a great place to come to because you see your depravity. And that's where he brings us. So with God in that, that work of redemption, how he chose us is that if he, if he didn't reach out to us, we'd remain lost. Do you see his love there? I don't understand it because a lot of times when we get frustrated with somebody or something, we usually throw it across the room, the, the thing, not the person. But we'll get frustrated with it, and it's like, I don't even have any part of this anymore. But he's like, I don't even understand his love for us. That's so awesome because the thing is, he could completely annihilate us and just re- redo it again. Who would say that he couldn't? I mean, nobody has that place to be able to do that. But yeah, he doesn't. He reaches out to us, and he wants to see us come to him. He wants to, he wants to give this sacrifice that he gave, and he wants to see us bought. And it's just, wow, it's such a cool thing to see what he does. His love seeks the sinner, Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10. So in Luke 19.10, actually, let's start in 9. This is when he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Okay? He says, and, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he, is all, he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So cool that Jesus came to look for what was lost. Right? It, when you go through it and you start really thinking about these words that Jesus said, it's so cool to see his love for us. And the love of the Father sending him to us to take care of us. And to come and seek us. 
and praise God for that. Before the creation, and like what I said, it was before the creation to show that it's holy by his grace. It's nothing that we've done. He chose us in who? Go back over there to Ephesians. And this is one of those in hymns. He says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And that's the thing that's interesting about this is that there's a purpose that follows it, isn't there? Like he chose us. Now what's the purpose of choosing us? Well, the, the person that it was in was Jesus. That was the work. That was the grace that was poured out to us. Now what's going to happen after it? And he puts that in there. And he says that we should what? There's a responsibility for us, isn't there? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And the thing is, is that it's not just, okay, you've accepted Christ, now do the good things that, you know, Christians do. <laughs> Make sure you go to church, don't cuss, don't drink, and don't go with people that do, right? Like, whatever list you want to make up. That's not what it's about. When he says this, and in the context he's talking about, he's given us every spiritual blessing. This is one of those things he's given us, and we've been in him, we've been chosen in him, that we should be holy, set apart, is another way of saying that, set apart and without blame before him in love. And it's just centered around Jesus. That's who it's contained in. We're saved because of him, we're in him, and so therefore we work through him. Right? It's not a work of ourselves, and thank the Lord, it's not by us. It's not that we need to clean up our acts so that he can use us. It is not that way at all. It's we submit and we obey, we fall before him and say we can't do it. Jesus, work through me. Give me that power you promised me. That whole part where you said, go to my Father in, in your name, I'm going to go do that, Lord. I want you to give, give me the, 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 the strength that I need to get through the things that you, know, you put in, me in, in front of me that I need to change. And that's how it works. It's all through him. To elect is to give purpose, isn't it? Have you ever thought about that? There's an election coming up, isn't there? Now, are we just going to elect the person just because they're a person? No, because there's things that we want to see change, hopefully. Or stay the same, whichever side you're on, and get worse. I'm just kidding. We're not going to get political here. <laughs> but the whole thing is, is why we elect is because we see somebody that has the same ideals as us and the position we want them to do, and we want something to be done. We want action to take place, don't we? To elect is to set apart or to to pull outside and, and put there to do a purpose, to complete something. And so when it, he elected us, it's to elect us is to give purpose or to be elected unto something. What have we been elected to? What is it? To be good people? Is that what it is? To be, to be you know, set aside from the rest of the world just because how we look or whatever or how weird we are? <laughs> It's the sonship, right? It's to Jesus. That's who we've been set aside part and put aside for. It's in him, and that's where it's going to come up into the adoption. So with this, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with this awesome privilege of being chosen, isn't there? Of being elected. There's a lot of responsibility. But I'm so thankful that he doesn't just say, here, I've given you this gift. Now you better be good with it. <laughs> that he gives us that strength. So moving on, and it says we've been adopted in verse 5, let's read through that. It says, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by who? By Jesus Christ to himself according to the, great, the good pleasure of his will. And it's talking about God the Father when it says to himself and to the good pleasure of his will. 
So this is, again, this is one of God the Father's works of this redemption, is that he's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. Now that word, having predestined, you know, in the Bible, we always find this word uh, predestined is with who? Who is predestined always with? What type of person? The believer, right? Have you guys ever seen it with the sinner? So I think we can conclude when you go through the Scriptures that over and over again, we can't find a place that in the Scripture where the Bible says or teaches that God predestined people to hell. It doesn't come across. Usually what people will say is because they're so hard on the, the, the theology that he's predestined us to be saved and to be in eternity with him that the other side they have to take is then you'd have to say that other people are predestined to hell. But that's never taught in the Word of God. Predestined is always followed by the believer. Predestination, it's always talked about, or God's people. It also talks about with Israel. So this word predestined, I'm just clarifying it, clarifying it again just to make sure when we go through this. It's, it's to ordain beforehand or to predetermine. It's, it's predestined us to adoption as sons. So it's ordained beforehand or predetermined us as adoption as sons. This adoption <clears throat> is not what has brought us into God's family. And that's a weird one. Because when you think adoption, you're like, well, that does bring you into somebody else's family. <laughs> so what am I talking about? It's what it is. That I want to talk about the process. Because a lot of people will think just the adoption, there's a title that's given. And so this title is, boom, it's, it's just done. Which voids all responsibility, doesn't it? Because usually what will happen is that if you take away that and you just say it's just a title, which it can be used as a title, but then all of a sudden you're void of responsibility. With what's going on with God here and what God the Father's doing is that he's adopting us by Jesus, right? By Jesus Christ. So it's the, what we'd like to focus on with the adoption is rather the process that you had to go through. Have you guys ever adopted or been adopted? Okay, that whole process, it can be horrible. <laughs> It can cost a lot of money. It can take years sometimes. It can be hard because sometimes you'll think you'll be getting a child and, and then everything falls through and you have to go and, and set yourself up for another child. And it can be a heart-wrenching, emotional experience going through that whole process. But it is a big process that you go through. And when the process, what we're focusing on here is because of that very important part that he makes, he says, by Jesus Christ, is because the process that had to take place was the redemption, right? Him dying on the cross was that part that brought us in and given us that title of adoption. So you have to really don't just focus on what title of adoption, but look at the process of adoption had to take place there. Because then there's a responsibility that follows. And that's what the point is there. Now go over um, you guys it, what I already said that. I'm not going to go over it. Go, go to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Just a couple pages to the left. Galatians 4, 1 through 7. And I hope this clarifies it a little bit, just in case I confused you guys, but what I'm saying. But this verse really clarifies it for me in my mind. So Galatians 4, 1 through 7, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, he doesn't differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of it all, a master of all, but is under guardians and stewardship until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So you see that whole process that had to go. In verse 6 it says, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That would be what he's given. When he's talking about the adoption, here it is in its full part. These verses 1 through 7, I think, clarifies it so well in saying, what does that adoption look like? And in the end, the focus is, look, therefore we are also no longer slave, but we're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Through Christ. It does that again, through or by Christ. So when we have this parallel, there's an awesome parallel that, or I'm jumping down too far. It's all through Christ, and now we have the title as adopted sons, which entitles the inheritance. And it entitles us to the inheritance of both the spiritual things, right? Those spiritual blessings. And the other thing that it entitles us to is the heavenly blessings, doesn't it? I mean, we don't want to leave that out. I'm not saying that there's nothing beyond this that we get in what we receive. But if you guys look over at Romans 8, 22. Told you we're going to be going all over. Over in Romans 8, 22 and 23. It says, uh, 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And that's that other thing that we get to look forward to is that other adoption, that heavenly adoption. So what's going to happen is that we get to shed these bodies and he gives us a new body and we get to reign with him, right? You guys remember the whole thing and I don't need to go through it again because Sean's been going through it of just that whole time that we get to be with Jesus. And it just blows my mind that we even are going to be put in that position. And think about your lives and the things you guys have done, the things that we continue maybe to do against God, and yet he completely forgives us. He completely forgives us. And not only that, it's not like we're just some peasant to him or some court gesture or whatever. But he gives us an important position and he calls us sons. I don't get it. All I can look at is see, wow, you absolutely love me. And you're representing, you're showing everything, not just through Christ's death, but even after Christ's death and what's going on in my life. And it's so neat to see and what that should prompt us to do is say, you know what? I'm sick of doing these things contrary to you. I'm sick of doing these things that aren't bringing you joy. It's not because I'm looking to, you know, be the best person. It's because I want to be your best son. <laughs> I want to I want to complete and I want to be there. You know, I love you so much in the things you've done for me. It, it encourages me or prompts me to get rid of and to understand that he's already taken all this sin away. And then he's indeed died for it now and the, the sins to come. And it's so neat to see, and that's one of those things that really helps. And I don't know if it helps you, but when you're faced with that sin or that temptation, you go back and you start remembering that. And it's like, why in the world would I even want to do that? <laughs> why would I even want to do that? I mean, look what he's done for me. We're accepted. In verse 6 of Ephesians, back over Ephesians. This is the other one that, this is, the, this is actually the last one of what the Father's work of redemption in our lives is that we are accepted. In verse 6 it says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. We can't make ourselves accepted, right? 
I mean, we may have tried, and we do it with each other all the time. You know, we always want to be accepted, right? I work out all the time so I can be accepted by my wife. <laughs> Luckily, she has grace. But <laughs> by His grace, we are accepted through who? The beloved. And I love that He doesn't just say Him in this time. Isn't that neat? Because when he says the beloved, what it's showing is that absolute love that he has for his son, the beloved. He gives him this title, the beloved. And because we're through that, that's also that's given to us. We are his beloved. I'm like, what? <laughs> God the Father saying that? Isn't that neat in verse 6? To the praise and the glory of his grace. So the praise and the glory to him by which he made us accepted in the beloved. We get to be accepted. And it's a great parallel when we go over. You guys remember the story of Onesimus in Philemon, right? Well, if not, go ahead and turn over there some verses. Let's check it out real quick. I'm just going to read two verses out of there. It is a long book. Yeah. You guys are looking for a good devotion. You don't know where to start. You can knock that one out quick. So small, I'm having time. Okay, Philemon, and there's only one chapter, so verses 17 through 19. And this, what it is, is that if you guys don't know this story, what's going on is this is a letter to Philemon, which Philemon was the master of Onesimus. He was a slave. Onesimus had run away to Paul. Paul had taken care of him. He actually came to Jesus. He accepted Jesus into his life, and now he's getting ready to send him back. And it's really neat what Paul says in these two verses because it's such an awesome parallel of us being accepted and showing what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. So Philemon 17 through uh, 19. And it says, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides and just that, put it on my account. That's what Jesus says. Isn't that cool? We're accepted because of the beloved. That's saying, put it on his account. If we owe anything, Jesus is stepping in and saying, put it on my account. But do we accept that? Or do we say, no, 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 God, you don't understand. I did a really bad thing. I need to work it out. It's just between me and you. <laughs> and kind of eliminate Jesus out of the picture. But the whole thing is, is that it's his beloved. It has to go through him. We've been put on Jesus' account, haven't we? So the second one, God, the Son's work of redemption. And now this is what Jesus, this is his work of redemption in verses 7 through 12. And the first one is that we're redeemed. So in verse 7, part, the first part of verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And that redemption, what it is, is to buy and set free by paying the debt. Really easy, isn't it? You're redeeming because a lot of times what's happened is, is uh, you know, somebody may have gone into uh, a debt that they can't get themselves out of and now they've become a slave through it. And what happens is somebody steps in, they pay that debt, and now they're free. They've been redeemed, right? And you guys know that there's a story too of Ruth. If you guys haven't read that story of Ruth and Boaz, that's an awesome story because that shows so such a clear picture of redemption and what, what Jesus Christ did for Israel and just the redemption that's going to happen and for all of his people. So it's a neat book. Go through it. We won't go through it right now. Um, what we 
with the redeemed and he's been set free. Here's the things we've been set free from. We've been set free from the law. If you guys want to write it down and you're taking notes, Galatians 5.1. We've been set free from sin, Romans 6, right? That one goes all about it. And then we've been set free of the power of Satan in the world, and that's in Galatians 1.4 and also in Colossians 1.13 and 14. And that's the different things that he set us free from. That's the things that we've been redeemed from. Now, outside of Jesus Christ, a person's under all those, aren't they? And we know all the scriptures, like you're under the law because if you don't want Jesus to step in for you, then you need to complete the law. You need to do everything right. If you mess up in one little area, I'm sorry, but you've been eliminated. (laughs) You lost the game. It doesn't work that way, right? The thing is, too, we know that they're slaves to unrighteousness. Outside of Jesus, you are a slave. Like, all you can do is sin. That's what you're a slave to. You might have a couple good days where you're doing something that's good, and you might help somebody across the street. But the thing is, is that we're still in that wickedness without Jesus. And then the power of Satan. And I know you guys have experienced, some of you have experienced that firsthand. It's a scary situation. And I told you about my friend that, you know, they... The crazy things that happened to him and, and uh, being held down in bed by something. And, and just, I'm sure you guys have stories too. There's lots of them out there of just crazy things and that, that power of Satan has over the world. And not only the Satan, but the world and what the world has power over. You know, I mean, even look at some of us in our workplaces. We feel like we have to all of a sudden kind of go down to the world's level again because they won't understand me if I don't talk like them. It's like, don't do that, guys. Give them a place where they have to go up to. Give them a place where it's uncomfortable and they see what righteousness is. Shine that light so that it's one of those things that when you walk into the room, is everybody all of a sudden quiet because they're telling a dirty joke? You know? And they're like, oh, great, the Christian's here. (laughs) Be quiet. You might hurt his ears. You know, or, or people are apologizing all the time because of the words coming out of their mouth. You know what? That's a good thing because that's righteousness. Now, that's not showing that you're a better person than any of the, the other people, right? Of course not. All it's showing is that you've had a Savior die for you, and he asks one little thing. Could you speak in a way that you're not using crude language? He does say that. He goes, watch the words you say. That little thing, can you do that for your Savior? You bet. If somebody asks you, why don't you cuss? Why don't you tell these dirty jokes? You know what? I had a guy die for me, and one of the things he asked me not to do was that. <laughs> I, I think I can, you know, do it for him. And just it's a great answer because then the, you know, they want to know, what are you talking about? A guy died for you, and before he died, he asked you not to say any of that stuff? <laughs> and tell him about Jesus. The other thing, in the second part, we've been forgiven. So in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And this forgiveness, you guys know, is to carry away, right? That's forgiveness. That's what the word means, to carry it away. And we see that in Leviticus. <clears throat> Sorry, Wendy's. <clears throat> I told you I wasn't going to, but I was hungry. Dang it. So forgiven. In verse 7b, the second part, to carry away this. In, in Leviticus 16, if you guys are taking notes, we're not going to go and read through everything, but what would happen is that the priest, he would take in these two goats, okay? And he'd put his hands on it, and what it represented was the sins of Israel being put on these two goats. And the one goat he would kill, okay? That was the sacrifice. And then what would happen is that blood would be poured out into a cup, and then he would take it before the Holy of Holies, okay? 
And what that was symbolizing is the guy was going in to present that because of the blood, and he was showing that this was the sins of Israel being taken into that holy holies so it could be dealt with by God. While the people are in the other way, so they're kind of separating. You see it going away to take away. And even further than this example is the other goat that was still out there that had its hands laid on. They would actually let it go out into the wilderness so that it would go away. It was called the scapegoat. And that's what they do. And so with this whole forgiving, it's to carry away. And it was the symbolism of this goat carrying away the sins of Israel. And then the other goat was the symbolism of this blood needed to be shed. A life needed to be taken to be able to deal with sin. And that, that, that uh, looking to the, what Christ was going to do. Now Christ has carried away our sins, of course, right? Do you guys remember Psalms 103, 12? He separates our sins, what? As far as the east is from the west, right? Guess what? When they set up the tabernacle... The, the tent where they used to go and sacrifice the animals, guess which way the, 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 it was laid out. The Holy of Holies was what? Was it to the west? I can't remember right now. I'm asking you guys. <laughs> I can't I get them switched up. Yeah, one of them was going one direction. The other was going the other direction. <laughs> but the whole thing was is that this psalm came from that because it was showing that he separates the sins because the sinner was outside the tent and they were taking the sins in there with the, uh, the goat's blood. And that was showing that separation taking place. And that's why this psalm is so cool because it says as far as the east from the west. Well, we know that those never conclude. It's a good thing he didn't say north and south, right? So they put poles on those ones. <laughs> all right. He revealed the mystery to us. Am I going to? Yeah, we're doing all right. So one of the other things that Christ did in the, in the redemption is that he revealed this mystery to us. In verses 8 through 9, it says, Which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And that one is such a neat one because... The thing is, is that there were so many people, so many people God had called and he used throughout history, and they didn't understand what this mystery was. And the mystery was grace, wasn't it? He'd given them the law, which was perfect, but the thing is that no man could do everything that was in the law. They could not complete the law. And so what they would have to do is they had to look forward to somebody that could complete it. They had to have that faith that God was going to work it out that God was going to deal with it in some way. And that's those guys that we know. That they, that if you guys go through uh, Hebrews 11, it talks about a ton of these guys. You know, we call it the hall of faith. And it just shows one man after another of just this faith that he had of looking forward to what was going to have to happen. Because they knew they weren't able to do it. They knew that no man was righteous in himself, that he had to have a Savior. In this mystery, we get to see exactly what happened, didn't we? And even at the time that Paul's writing this, they fully haven't understood the full mystery, had they? They were still looking at Jews and Gentiles as being separate. They hadn't understood that God was redeeming everything. He was putting all these things back together. Because here's the thing with sin, is it separates everything, doesn't it? Sin is known for separating, isn't it? I mean, think about the different things that sin has separated. It separated the earth. I mean, think about all the things on the earth that are just a disaster now because of sin. The things that we've done, even as we live, and other cultures live, the way that we choose to live is destroying the earth. And I'm not going to get all green on you guys. 
but <laughs> there are big evidences that the way that we treat this earth, pollute the rivers or however it goes, it damages what's going on out there in the earth. So that's one of those things. Animals. There's a lot of animals that don't even exist now because we decided that we had some greed and we wanted to have all these different things from these animals and we ended up eliminating them, right? It's another one of those things. Okay, I'll get out of the hippie stage. Now, morals. So morals, one of those things that separated is, you guys can look in society now, completely separated morals from what God had first given us. Now everything goes, and it completely is dependent on what you want to see as truth. Uh, I was listening, uh, what was it? Oh, okay, that Newsboys song where they, they include some of the, the, the words from God's Not Dead, the movie, and where that kid quotes that person that says that if the no God exists, then everything's possible. Because it's like wide open door, they're speaking about morals. Well, the thing is, if no God exists, what stops you from doing anything? It's not saying that society won't have morals, but what it's saying is why have morals if there is no God? The other one is, and this will get more personal now, is that people groups. Sin has separated people groups, hasn't it? You guys can go to any different place. It's not just here in America. When we were in Costa Rica, (laughs) they hated other people too that were close by. There was tons of racism there. I mean, it's everywhere. We see wars are done over it. This whole separation that's brought with people groups, even though we all came from the same person. Marriages. Sin separates marriage, doesn't it? It does. And families, kids and their parents, sin will separate. It does. And so sin has just been separating and separating and separating. And the thing was, that it was on this destructive path with no end until Jesus came and across it. That's when all of a sudden it stopped. And the full redemption is going to take place when he comes back. And so you get to see that little bit of process. So until he died on the cross, it was a steady decline of separation. But God's eternal program it stepped in and stopped it. And he reveals this mystery to us, and it's so neat to see that this is what's happening, and he's the one that's taking place of it, and that it wasn't our duty to do it, as some would have taught. And some did teach that it was our duty to put it all back together that Jesus is coming back. So when you look at that in those verses, and it says, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, it's talking about the end, okay, when he comes back, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Put it all back together as a design, like the whole thing that's been shattered, Jesus is going to put it back together. And I'm not saying that all of a sudden it's going to have the same earth, and he's going to put all... We know that First Peter talks about it all being destroyed, but he's going to put it how God had designed it in the first place. The inherit. Okay, moving on. We have been made an inheritance in verses 10 and 11. That ended in the... Yeah, 10 and 11, yeah. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, who both are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so we've been made an inheritance. Now the inheritance is incorruptible and perishable. It's undefiled and it doesn't, it doesn't fade away. And that's out of 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. So turn over there. We'll read that whole verse. First Peter 1, 3-5. through 
And it even goes on further, but if you guys want to see some of this, this heavenly inheritance that we get, it's a neat passage of Scripture of what it just it shows us, and what we get. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Set in the picture of who it's by, who it was through. In verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible or imperishable, and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need you be, you have been grieved by various trials. And it just keeps going on. I'm talking about that faith. But it's such an awesome thing that we've been made an inheritance. Or we're going to receive an inheritance. Now, there's two different ways, and I don't know if you guys have... Do you guys have different interpret or different? Uh, like I don't know if the ESV tells it a little different. In this verse, it says, "In Him we also have deigned an inheritance." It says we become the inheritance. There's some other versions that talk about that. Either way, it's a truth. We can go through. We can go on the other side and see see how we become an inheritance to Christ. And talking about how He's going to receive the church. Uh, you know, all those that uh, in John 17 where He's praying and He talks over and over. He says, "And those You've given to Me." Remember that? So we've also been given to Jesus. But in this one, I don't know, in my new King James it talks about, and it says we've been, uh, let me read it again. In him we've also obtained an inheritance. In the end, it's what it is we're valuable to him. And just think of the price that he paid just to show us that, right? The next one, this will be the last one. This is that third one. And God, the Holy Spirit, his work of redemption. In verse 13, the first one is, is that we're sealed. It says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that's an awesome verse. I don't know if you guys have ever had to go back to that one to make sure. <laughs> you know, when you have that doubt, you're like, no. No, here's what the scriptures say. And it's such a neat one because that verse 13, that is salvation, isn't it? Like that is that right there, it talks about accepting the gospel. It is, so when we look at that, the first one is that we're sealed. And it gives the whole process of the salvation there. If you guys read again, the process of salvation is in him you also trusted after what? After you heard, right? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, because that's the next step, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It happens after you're believed. It's not talking about now you guys need to go and speak in tongues and and show that you receive the Holy Spirit or that you're going to have the empowering of the Holy Spirit or that epi like we've talked about. Because we know in Acts it happens at different times, right? But he's talking about we're sealed. As soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, you're sealed. And it's an awesome thing to see that. And that sealed is that finished transaction. Going back on that herd, I want to, before I move on to this, defining sealed. I want to go over this real quick with Romans 10. Go over to Romans 10, verse 13. Let's see if we have enough time to get over there. So Romans 10, 13 through 17. This is going back on how they've heard. It says, in him you've also trusted after you heard, back in Ephesians. So over here in Romans 10, 13, it says, 
For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is that whole process of salvation again. Just it's spelled out a little bit more and it's showing the responsibility of those that already have it. In verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they be pre- uh, preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And just that important part of hearing, that important part that has to happen there. But one of the things is that we're one of those key feet in going and doing that, right? Now go back over to the sealed part, back over to Ephesians. The sealed is when it's a finished transgression, <laughs> finished transaction. Yeah. So, you know when you have an important legal document, right? I mean, one of the things that you do is you get a seal on it to authenticate it, right? Now, if you live in another country that they love seals, you will go and get a document that will probably have 10 seals by the end of the day. <laughs> they just want to see that you went to each window and made sure you went. Oh, it's, just a, it's a crazy process. It is actually hilarious. And we were trying to figure out the first time, they were like, you need to go get this, uh, what they call timbre, which that means doorbell. And we didn't know that only in Costa Rica they use that word as stamp. So we're like, and Annie was there, I think, at the same time, right? And you're trying to figure it out because you're like, doorbell, what in the world? Why do they want you to go find a doorbell? And they're like, you cannot have this paperwork in until you have a doorbell. You know, and that's in our minds, that's what it was registering. So we had to go out on the street and ask them, what in the world is a doorbell? And then they're like, oh, it's the stamps right next door. Go buy them over there. And you have to go like, go get a stamp, go back in. They put a stamp on top of that. Then you have to go back and get another stamp to show that you got that stamp from them. And then you go back in there. Never mind. So they like their seals because they want to show that it's been authenticated, right? Well, that's one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that when we believe we get that seal on us, we've been authenticated. God is saying, it's mine. <laughs> you have the Holy Spirit now. It shows ownership, doesn't it? You guys remember the, the seal with the, the, when they put the wax on the letter and then they put their seal on there? Well, that was showing who it was from. That was showing the authority behind it, wasn't it? And that's awesome that God the Father has put that authority, that, that seal on us, the Holy Spirit. And it also is a security or protection. You know, like the, the tomb of Jesus was sealed up with a, Ro- a Roman seal. You guys remember that? And however that was, there's some people that believe it was a bar that went over and attached into the wall so you couldn't roll the, the stone, which after being there in Jerusalem and what they believe was the tomb, there's actually these metal rods that are still in the wall that were about the outside diameter of what a stone would have been on the outside of that. So it was really interesting to see that, and I was wondering, do you guys ever, ever watch Ron Wyatt? He kind of studies that a little bit to see, but other topic. Anyways, the seal, it's a, it's a security or protection. Another thing that's represented in our lives with the Holy Spirit. And the last one to close is that he's given us an earnest. I love this one. It's that guarantee, that earnest, or that down payment. And so in this day, what this meant was this, this earnest. It was, this is what Paul, in the interpretation of this word in the Greek, was the down payment to guarantee the final purchase of some commodity or piece of property. You guys have bought a house, right? Most of us in this room, they want earnest money, don't they? you got to give it up because <laughs> they want to show that, you know, they're going to get the payments, that you have a lot invested in this. Now, the, the thing about our, you know, what we can do is we can step out of that and default and go all through that trouble. But the thing is with God is that what he's doing is he's giving that Holy Spirit. It's the earnest. It's saying, boom, there's the payment. 
And I'm going to redeem this when Jesus Christ comes back. The Holy Spirit is God's first installment to guarantee his children that his work would be finished. And there's these three stages of redemption. And I pulled this from Wearsby. Give him the credit. I loved how he put it, though. Three stages of redemption. It's we have been redeemed, and watch the time in these things. We have been redeemed through the faith in Jesus Christ, right? In Ephesians 1.7. Number two, we've been, we're being redeemed. In this moment, redeemed as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and we see that in Romans 8, 1 through 4. And then we shall be redeemed when Christ returns, right? And so what a neat thing. If you guys see all these different ways that the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father are working, and what the redemption plan, and how they're redeeming us, and what's already been done, it's a cool thing to see what's ended up happening with this. And you really get an insight on those spiritual blessings in those heavenly places and what it's talking about and that authority that's coming behind it. And with that authority, we're guaranteed that those promises that are made to us are for real. That it's not just something that he's trying to make us feel good about or make us feel comfortable so we can step into a religious trap or whatever. That it's a very serious thing. And he wants to make sure it's a serious thing because he paid a huge price for us. And so the responsibility that comes with this information is sharing it, right? We talk to others about that. Applying it to our lives. What is this going to do to me? Is this just a cool little thing, this neat doctrine now that I can see? And we're going to get a lot more into the application of this in the later chapters of Ephesians. And the other thing, the last one is, how does this deal with your love for your father? Does it increase it? Does it confuse it? (laughs) You know, what goes on after you understand and you get to see these things and what he's done for you, is doing for you, or going to do for you, where is your love at for your Savior and God the Father for what the plan he has for us? And it's such a neat thing when we dive into that and we get to see all those things. It's like, wow, you have to walk away from it just thanking him and just understanding your place with him. That it's not the slave anymore, that we are adopted sons and he, daughters, and he cares very much for us. That he's done a lot of stuff here for us. That there's a lot of neat details in here, and we can even go even deeper into it. But you guys do that on your own time with him. It's an awesome study. So, Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for tonight, Lord. And just thank you for the things that you point out to us and just the work that you're doing. You're such a good father to us. You're so loving, Lord, uh, beyond what we can ever comprehend. and. And Lord, just keep reminding us over and over because you know that there's so many times that we walk from you. We forget about what you've done and we forget about the love for you, for us that you have. Lord, we forget what you've already paid for. And Lord, just continue to remind us. I thank you for your mercy that you pour out on us, that you continually remind us just as your little children. And you're so good, Lord. And we just want to lift up everybody in here that they'd have an awesome week, Lord, that they'd follow you. And uh, Lord, the people in here that maybe they don't even know you yet. Lord, I ask that they would start asking questions that they'd want to get to know you better. And uh, they'd fall in love with you and just accept what you've done for them, Lord, and see, you know, that they are separated from you. And, uh, Lord, we just want to lift them up to you. And just give us the voice that we need this week, Lord, and, and the words that we need to speak to the people around us, Lord, and just to be that light and stand up for you. We love you, Lord. Amen.